Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up whenever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I don't think I was running and starting <laughs> to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Monday, March 27th, 2023. Darren Yappi and Diego Rubio have both gotten international starts this week, though neither of them scored a goal, unfortunately. Kevin Cabral, however, opened up his account for the Burgundy and Blue. Take that, St. Stuver. Rapids 2 actually won a game, and they came from behind to do so. And the United States men's national team are headed to the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. Their interim head coach, be darned. I'm joined now by a man who's ready to talk about Carlos Vela, Rabbi Mark Goodman. I'm ready to talk about Carlos Vela. Uh, Rabbi, who are the Colorado Rapids playing this weekend? Uh, apparently Carlos Vela, I guess. Yes, Los Angeles Football Club. That's true. Uh, they had a dude, I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but they had a dude who arrived on a plane from Turkey, stepped off the plane, drove from the airport to the stadium, chilled for an hour waiting for to get on, Came on in, like, the 82nd minute and then scored, like, the game-winning goal or something like that. Um, Was it Bowanga? Does that sound right? Aranga? Bowanga? We'll look it up Bowanga. later. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, like, when I come off a plane, all I want to do is curl into a ball and fall asleep in the back of an Uber. Um, I'm not capable of, like, winning a soccer game, let alone, especially after, like, a 15-hour flight. What's the longest flight you've ever taken, Matt? I think it was a 13-hour flight. What was the longest flight you've ever taken? Longest flight I've ever taken, um, not three weeks before I, my first week of college or my first week of band camp, freshman year of college, um, I took a trip with my family for almost two weeks, like at least 10, 11 days to Australia. So it had to be whatever LAX, whatever LAX to Sydney one way and I know that the jet streams are different so it's like two hours longer going against the winds versus going with where you've got the benefit of like the earth rotating in your favor and everything whatever the longer equivalent of that would have been between LAX and Sydney it it could have been it's at least 17 hours it could be 21 hours I'm not I'm a little fuzzy on those details honestly rabbi it was long enough to the point where I didn't know where which way was up Clearly, I was freaked out by the toilets and the way that they swirled when I landed and everything, and kangaroos seemed to make perfect sense. Nice. Rabbi, what's the longest flight you've been on? My longest one flight is uh, the almost never run these days, LAX to Tel Aviv flight, which is 14 and a half hours. But if you're counting flights where um, I was supposed to make a plane change and then keep going... um, uh, I think for our honeymoon, we flew from San Francisco to Tokyo, and then we were supposed to make a plane change for Hanoi, 
and um, there was a delay of the flight by several hours, and we didn't get out of San Francisco on time. And so we landed in Tokyo and had to spend the night and then wake up the next morning and go back to the airport. So that was like a basically like a 27-hour flight, if you count it. But let me tell you, Matt, just very quickly, when we landed in Tokyo, the airline knew that we had all missed our flights. We hadn't even gotten through uh, passport control, and there was a table with a bunch of people sitting there, and they had little cards sitting there. And the, and as the people came off the plane, we walked up to this table, and they asked us our name. And we told them our name, and they handed us this little envelope. And I said, what's this? And they said, oh, you know, you, since you've all missed your flight, you have a hotel and vouchers for uh, dinner, snack, and breakfast. Um and I was like, oh, okay, when are we going to get that? And they said, now. That's what's in this little envelope, right? I was no, not prepared for how amazingly awesome um, the Japanese were to deal with a flight that had been delayed. Because we had a hotel key and vouchers for breakfast and dinner. Um, and we hadn't even gone through passport control. It blew my mind. It was super awesome. Um, I highly recommend Japan. It's a really cool country where everyone's really, really nice to you, at least the two times that I've been there. All right. Uh, did that come with uh, ceremonial uh, honeymoon kimonos by chance, Rabbi? Uh, no, but we went to a hotel uh, on our flight back. We had a plane change on the way back, and we hang. We, we just we went to the hotel to go up into the like the top floor to have a really cool view. And down in the like uh, lobby area, there are all these people in like full um, ceremonial Japanese dress for formal occasions like weddings. And let me tell you, that is really amazing when Japanese women get all dressed up in the ceremonial traditional garb with the makeup and everything. It is like nothing is more impressive and you feel more like a slob than anything else in the rest of your life. You're like, they are impeccable and you like are wearing dirty jeans for the last three days in a row because you've been traveling, you know? And it's like the comparison is out of whack. We're six minutes in, Rabbi. I'm aware we're already way off the rails Let's keep going. topic and not talking about soccer. But I have to ask this last question because, listeners, we're recording on Monday this week because I have a work trip coming up and the schedule is a little – it's not completely certain. And I was concerned that we wouldn't be able to pod this week if we didn't pod Monday since I'm leaving tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon, and I'm not getting back till Friday afternoon obviously. But so, Rabbi, there was a possibility to where I would have been podcasting this week from a hotel in Palm Springs, California, and we'd have to bring back one of the original banter topics <laughs> of this podcast about hotel art. So, Rabbi, I have to ask, scale of one to ten, Japanese unexpected hotel art decor? I mean, it's it's exactly what you would... Uh, my recollection, although this was a long time ago, this was... I've been married for 16 years, so... Um, 16 years? Is that right? 14 years? Something like that. Don't don't call my wife after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> although, to be honest, she won't remember either. Um, well, I definitely have not been... I've definitely been married more than 12 years because I have a 12-year-old son. Um, uh, my recollection is it's exactly what you would think it would be. Meaning, it's like... Lots of, like, um, kind of very, like, beautiful-looking trees and uh, paintings of storks and, you know, very traditional, like, Japanese woodcut kind of scenes right out of the 18th century. You know, it's very, um, very, very cool and very sleek. 
uh, and and very calming. I think that's that's the overall oeuvre of your Japanese wall art in a hotel. But I'm looking forward to next week's installment of Palm Springs Hotel Wall Art with Rabbi in Red. <laughs> Speaking of international travel and everything, folks. Nice um, transition. Yes. So, uh, uh, Mark, uh, we had the friendly, or excuse me, we had the CONCACAF Nations League game this past Friday in which the United States run roughshod over Granada. Pepe scores. Christian Pulisic gets a bunch of goal contributions. No Rapids players involved in the national team, obviously. The only... Um, involved in the senior national team, uh, the only MLS player called up by Anthony Hudson, former Colorado Rapids head coach, trigger warning, sorry listeners, uh, was <laughs> Miles Robinson, who I was excited to see, Mark, and then uh, we're recording just after, not an hour off of full time from Exploria Stadium, where uh, Ricardo Pepe El Train subs on in the second half for Daryl DK and gets rolling, rumbling, bumbling, stumbling downhill to get the goal in a 1-0 victory, and then Mark, we're currently recording in the middle of Chile versus Paraguay. Chile has just tied it up to make it 2-2 in the 78th minute. Diego Rubio started in that game's folks was a halftime substitute, uh, did not score a goal. And then Darren Yapi started the other day in a 4-2 loss for the U-20 Nats against England. Uh, he did not score. Mark uh, and I were researching to see whether or not he got an assist or other stats, and the stats out there, unfortunately, from the powers that be were limited. They are playing Serbia tomorrow at time of recording. That game might be over by the time you hear. Rabbi, I heard from a little birdie. Expectation was when the roster came through and nobody, no unsuspecting injuries or changes needed to be made to the roster that Yapi was going to start one of these games and sub in one of these games I would imagine he's probably not a starter for the Serbia game Rabbi your thoughts on national team stuff given of course you and I have not watched Yapi or Rubio with their respective national teams yeah I haven't really I've watched only a little bit of the highlights of these matches so um I I don't have a whole lot to say other than you know the U.S. probably should have thumped Grenada more than they did they probably should have thumped El Salvador more than they did in the in the big games um, I don't think there's anything to take away from a U20 game uh, against England in which we got beat 4-2. to two. Um, Also, the lack of information from U.S. youth uh, uh, in U.S. soccer about that game kind of implies that, like, these are strictly being treated as, like, uh, very laid-back friendlies in terms of the way that they kind of measure these. They, they just don't want to put them in, in the blaring light of uh, fans trying to piece something together about the future of the men's national team from what's going on at the U20 level. But because um, it's not they're not they're playing some little tournament in Spain and it's not really kind of a high level, you know, World Cup kind of year. So I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I think the most important thing um, that I noticed in for today's game in El Salvador was a lineup. Um, I love me some Daryl DK. I really wish he had been healthy for the World Cup. I do think that having him healthy and at full strength for the World Cup in Qatar would have been huge for the USMNT. I think what he offers is fantastic. He can score with his head. He's a big body kind of guy. Um, he, he can score with his feet. He really forces the entire defense to shift to him to deal with him. And I don't think that that was ever really an issue regarding some of our other options. I mean, Pepe is a very different... The other thing is, he offers something very different than pretty much everybody else on the roster. So, um, I thought that that was, that, that was really exciting to me. But then again, I'm a 
DRLTK stand. There's just nothing I, can, nothing I can do about it. And when I posted on Twitter today, last thought is, you know, Gio Reyna was in the starting lineup, and that gives me lots of uh, feelings. Um, I want the kid to do well, but I'm probably like most USMNT fans in that I really dislike his parents, and I don't like his parents getting their way in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so as much as I don't want the kid to suffer from the knuckleheadery of his parents, I don't want Claudio and Mrs. Claudio to experience a sense that their whining and complaining got their kid on the field. I don't think that's what happened. I think he got on the field because of his own natural talents. But I think they look they look at a game like today and they're like, you know, we kicked up a fuss and now Gio gets the starting spot in the lineup and... So it's all we've been vindicated. It's been it's been proved that all the things, the horrible things we did to Greg Berhalter came to fruition because um, Anthony Hudson is terrified of what we would do to him if we didn't start his or if he didn't start our son. That's probably not true, <laughs> but I still feel um, uncomfortable about Geo starting for those reasons. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, no, I'm. I, I completely agree with what you said earlier about that, Mark. You know, I, I think Greg Berhalter largely was vindicated from the whatever report. I'm, I'm losing track of all of the U.S. soccer scandals, internal yeah. reviews, and then news dumps they have and then yeah. names they have for those news dumps and everything. But, you know, the fact that it comes out, there'd be no legal ramifications for hiring Greg Berhalter. You look at how Berhalter handled it. You look at how he handled it even just in the moment in those following weeks that came up where it was, you know, documented that he went out and he sought help and counseling and everything that was really progressive for early 1990s and prior to the me too movement by you know at least 15 years a decade i can't remember when hashtag me too actually became a thing you know and then you combine that with the timing of it and certainly the statements that were made by the reinas to redacted u.s soccer members and everything you know where i i can't remember wh whether it was uh, whether it was his mom or his dad geo's mom or dad saying you know we could make one phone call and then burhalter's bounce passes and his fancy sneakers would be gone saying that you know yeah. greg you know beat the crap out of his uh out of his then girlfriend now wife and the mother of his children in a back alley and everything and it was like you know i, I think it's very clear what the intentions were for the Reinas and everything. You know, he was, Berhalter was a candidate for almost 10 months, I think, before, and they, they've known about this their entire time. So where was uh, where was the shock and awe from the Reinas in the mid-2000s when Claudio and Greg were with the national team about how this guy shouldn't even be on the national team as a player because of a horrible thing that he did and everything. So the timing behind it was horrible. I want to give Gio actually some credit, Rabbi, because you look at it like he's had opportunities to like be in line with that or just like not comment and like be above that in that regard. And I thought in that in that regard, I think that's shown some level of maturity or at the very least, maybe his agent or some other adult in his life saying like, don't get stuck down in the weeds. It's not actually going to help you. Similarly, Mark, to where I think I, I think somebody from a media training standpoint um, has told Cole Bassett, regardless of whatever beef happened at Fortuna Sittard, you going public with that does not help you as much as you might feel that it vindicates you and everything. So uh, Gio's going to, this is going to sound horrible given other implications of it, but he's mostly just shutting up and, and dribbling and focusing on his game and everything. And if he can stay out of that mishap and everything and just focus on, I'm going to be a really good player. And whenever that head coach gets hired, I'm going to work to develop that relationship and to be the best player I can for that and be there for the team, which is something that's been a 
affirmed by Tim Ream, by Christian Pulisic, by Anthony Hudson in their media availability in the last week and week and a half, then I think that's a net positive for Gio Reyna. But I, I agree with you, Rabbi, on some level, uh, while the Reynas from a PR and a branding standpoint took a serious hit, I think the reality is in the long term, they're going to get what they want, which is Gio being more involved in the national team for the next World Cup cycle, not being coached by Greg Berhalter. Right. Or their kid is going to be great and all of their whining is inconsequential because their kid is that great. They should have just shut up and waited till he was great at the right time and healthy at the right time. Yeah. Last thing that I want to say here, Rabbi. So with the four group winners in League A, so groups A, B, C, and D, which are all in League A, that qualifies the United States in addition to Mexico, Canada, and Panama. Panama upsetting Costa Rica in group B. Um, those four teams have qualified for the 2023 CONCACAF Nations League final. Um, those matches will take place in, at Allegiant Stadium in Paradise, Nevada, according to their Wikipedia page. I have not found from any documentation, listeners, what the actual seeding for that is. If it goes by seeding based on how they were in the pots for determining the groups, it would be... In this order, one to four, Mexico, United States, Canada, Panama. Should be pointed out, folks, these pots and everything were decided before the World Cup, so it would have been seeding after CONCACAF World Cup qualification. Understandably, then, that the United States was not one out of those in any case. So, Rabbi, if we're doing this by the pots of where the teams were, those two semifinals should be Mexico, Panama, Canada, United States. I'm not sure that that's... uh, I haven't been able to confirm how that's happening or if they're doing a separate draw for that, which is basically going to be a faux CONCACAF teams making it sure that it's met, set up for USA Mexico in the final rather than in the <laughs> because that's I mean that's what I would do to make all the that's money. what we want which is the only thing that CONCACAF cares about they love money and they only like soccer to the extent that it makes them money rabbi shall we move on rabbi for sure let's talk about some other soccer matches Listeners, this past Saturday at Q2 Stadium in Austin, Texas, the Colorado Rapids got a 1-1 draw, just like they did the last time they played Austin, like five games ago, albeit like six months ago, on Decision Day last year. The Pids came in here once again shorthanded, Rabbi. It was a mostly 3-4-3, kind of 5-3-2-ish. There's, Rabbi, we could do a whole conversation about Sam Nicholson, occasional vine back, Vines backiness, but in any case, it was William Yarbrough in goal and captaining the side uh, back three in the center back position would have been Danny Wilson, Andreas Makshu, and Lawless Bubakar. No change there. Keegan Rosenberry returned to the starting lineup from his hamstring tweak last year. Brian Acosta and Connor Ronan were in the midfield. Sam Nicholson was doing a bunch of different things. And then it could be, it was a 5-4-1, a 3-5-1 at times market. There's a bunch of different things happening. Jonathan Lewis was a false nine, folks. Cole Bassett was doing a couple different things, mostly on the right. Max was doing a couple different things, mostly in the middle and on the left next to Sam Nicholson. And Rabbi, the, <laughs> the Rapids come out, and honestly, other than the goal that they gave up, you know, in the fifth minute, I thought they were the better of the team through the first 45 minutes and on the whole of the game as well. You know, they come out. Cole Bassett's doing some stuff on the ball. I thought he and Rosenberry combined very well on the kind of rightish flank with Bassett kind of being in like the inside channel and then him leading to open things up on Austin's left-sided flank, Keegan Rosenberry overlapping on the Rapids right. But it's Jonathan Gallagher who scores from an overlapping position just five minutes into this game. Another confluence of defensive breakdowns, Mark, where Austin gets the ball forward in a mostly comfortable position. Nobody gets on Drew There is an open midfielder uh, for Austin that 
doesn't know Rapids player, particularly Connor Ronan or Brian Acosta picks up. Danny Wilson steps to that player as John Gallagher is making a run. Sam Nicholson doesn't look over his shoulder to see John Gallagher making the run, so he doesn't go with the man. Wilson moves out of position to then open up the passing lane. John Gallagher, one touch uh, to collect, and then ultimately finishes on William Yarbrough. The flag initially went up, but Andreas Maxu, who is backtracking, ultimately kept the play onside. Listeners, stop me if you've heard me recount this before on a defensive breakdown. But then after that, Mark... I thought the Rapids controlled the ball. I thought the energy and their intensity was good. Just not a lot of finish in the final third. Max had a couple looks. You know, Jonathan Lewis was denied on the doorstep 15 minutes in, I think, on that corner. Great save by Brad Stuver. A lot of Austin fans were bringing out the St. Stuver comments, and I thought he absolutely earned his paycheck on Saturday Night Rabbi. He was man of the match for me, regardless of it being a 1-1 draw, but, you know, a couple other chances. Cole Bassett gets a couple looks. Keegan Rosenberry with a couple off-balance finishes. So really good job, I think, by the Rapids in terms of getting the ball forward relatively easily or with intensity, doing it at pace, doing it to create openings and then create chances. But how many times have we seen this before where no Diego Rubio and maybe you don't have a wing back who's absolutely bossing it in terms of cutting through the lines. And then the Rapids ultimately aren't able to open up the opponent and actually get, they got high quality chances. They didn't do anything with those chances, uh, including the two looks that uh, Jonathan Lewis had from the run of play. And then you look at it in the second half. I really thought that the, uh, the game slowed down in terms of pace and opportunities, but the chances actually got better. You know, Driussi had that shot four minutes in the second half that tried to catch Yarbrough unawares and you know he kind of he dealt with it and it goes down and Ethan Finley gets a really good chance but ultimately the header's offline and Sam Nicholson's able to clear the danger anyways but then you look at it Mark you know the Danny Wilson had a great opportunity that gets tipped over the bar um, on a corner from Brad Stuver before that Cole Bassett had a curling shot as well, that was a really good opportunity. You had um, Michael Barrios go in 1v1 with Brad Stuver, but Stuver comes off his line and ultimately makes the save as well. You know, Stuver was fantastic right around that hour mark where the Rapids start to wake up. And fittingly, Mark, I, you know, I, I was already set. I was I was writing my recap and everything. I was going to say, okay, you know, Rapids get a bunch of chances, aren't able to finish. They get make one defensive mistake. It leads to one chance. They score. The Rapids are bad. This is an indictment on Kevin Cabral. The fact that he didn't start when the Rapids didn't have a striker with... Yappy out and Rubio out and a bunch of other injuries and everything and the midfield needs to be better and the center backs can't stop making mistakes and the narrative turns not completely on its head but at least gets a lot softer in the 85th minute when you get another great through ball Michael Barrios loves to terrorize those Austin fans on that end of the goal you know, passes it back to um, Kevin Cabral with just one defender there, and Cabral has a tap-in to open the scoring for the Colorado Rapids, and the Rapids get out of dodge, albeit that one Jamie Tart in-behind opportunity for uh, uh, Rodney Redes that Yarbrough is able to make the save, but Mark, you know, uh, on the whole, I think a decent performance, a draw, a goal, two straight goal, two games where the Rapids have scored a goal and everything and players that you would want to score a goal based on the expectations for them this season. Rabbi, I'll start with you. Good things. Good things. So many good things. I mean, all you need to do is go back and watch the replay as I have about four or five times and just notice that. And this is always a valuable thing to do in the sense that normally when we as Rapids fans watch replays, it's a horror show where we want to cover our eyes because all the highlights are from the opposing team. This is the opposite. If you go back and you want to know who was the better of the two teams in this 1-1 draw, the answer was Colorado. And that's deducible simply from the replay. 
because if you go back and watch the seven minute replay, all you'll see is Rapids highlights. It's just great rapid shot after great rapid shot that doesn't land. Um, with the one exception of that early, early goal from Gallagher. Gallagher? Gallagher, I think is, is how it's pronounced, which always strikes me as strange. And someone's going to have to explain that to me later down the road. Maybe Matt will. Um, but th- there were so many great highlights early on. My favorite is the fact that at uh, minute 15 and again at minute 67, and again at minute 69, I think, there are not one, not two, but three corner kicks that the Rapids nearly scored on. And all three of them, Matt, were Loki's Toboggan, ladies and gentlemen, a.k.a. Russia, a.k.a. Stack. Um, my favorite play, you can go back into the history of um, holding the Highline Substack articles to find my incredibly overly nerdily detailed description of how Loki's toboggan works. Um, but basically, um, they very, very nearly scored off of their first Loki's toboggan in min- minute 15. Um, I recall seeing when I was watching the game by looking it up that um, the stats uh, for expected goals on the shot that um, Jonathan Lewis took, which was the second shot. So the first shot in the 15th minute was a header by Lalas Abubakar, and he put it onto frame, and it got blocked or it got choked up in the middle in, in front of goal. And then Jonathan Lewis rebounded it dead in the middle of the goal from one yard out. And I think, and, and he hit it into the goalkeeper. And statistically, what the expected goals for shots on target in that situation recorded was that that situation was a 0.95 expected goal. (laughs) Another way of saying, Jonathan Lewis scores that goal 95 times out of 100, and only by a biblical miracle, well, not quite that good, but um, he really should have finished that ball. But there were a number of, you know, I don't, I, I'm belaboring one play, but that's always kind of, kind of my MO, Matt, which is like to talk wax poetically about one specific play that is locked in amber in my brain. But like, there were a lot of plays like that where Jonathan Lewis had a really nice shot from a sharp angle in like the 37th minute. Um, there were a couple other, there was a really great shot from Keegan Rosenberry um, towards the end of the first half. Colorado had really, really good looks at the goal. Stuver stood on his head, like you said, really well, Matt. Um, there's a universe, an alternate, um, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once universe, where the Rapids win this game five to nothing, and it, it's not even close. Where they just absolutely blister the net and walk out of dodge, and everybody thinks to themselves, like, who was that team? Um, and to that end, and to, to finish my long soliloquy about what was good was. None of us expected this. If you looked at the, me and you both expected this to be a loss. The DNVR guys, um, two out of the three of them picked this as a loss and one of them picked it as a draw. Like nobody thought we were going to win this game because Austin is really, really good. They have a lot of talent. Triusi is a really fantastic player. Um, Stuver is a fantastic player. They tend to boss when they're at home, but Colorado just showed up. And also not only that, but, they showed up with a bunch of their main dudes, Price, Rubio, Yapi, um, not available, right? And everybody else just kind of stepped up and had a good game. Uh, Matt, you're good things. 
Yeah, I mean, echo everything you said about the the creation and the intensity. This was absolutely a step forward, Mark. If you look at Cole Bassett's comments and Connor Ronan's comments the last couple games about the they're getting the ball, they can settle it down, but then there's not really there's not an urgency, there's not a movement off the ball. What they're doing to get comfortably set up offensively from the middle third to the final third was not good enough against Minnesota, and it was really really poor for long stretches against Sporting Kansas City. This was the, in many regards, I think the best performance of the season and certainly far and away a step in the right direction for that. Um, so that was fantastic. I want to talk about Kevin Cabral, Mark, who, wow. you know, we were maligning as, you know, the you know the fact that he wasn't starting when Yappi wasn't there, when Rubio wasn't there, had to be an indictment. You know, Mark, I've heard little things that he was working his way into fitness from a preseason standpoint. I don't know if he, I, I don't want to speculate whether or not he came into camp out of shape or anything, or maybe it was getting used to altitude. Maybe it was getting used to his teammates and everything. Maybe it was getting used to, you know, Robin Frazier does have this thing with a lot of players, including higher profile players, where they kind of have to earn, they have to prove an understanding of what the team wants and needs from him systematically from a cultural standpoint. And then from that standpoint, there is trust to put you into the game as well. But, you know, I thought, Mark, when it was the the fact that, you know, that Austin had so many injuries and so many issues at the center back position to where Alex Ring was being played out of position in this role, and you don't have Darren Yappi, and you don't have Diego Rubio, and Robin Frazier says our best option is five foot nothing Jonathan Lewis as a false nine— on some level, that has to – I have to respond to that with questioning what does that say about Kevin Cabral and Calvin Harris and where they rate within the team. But I think for a player who it was very obvious his confidence was low coming out of his time with the LA Galaxy, where a lot of expectations for the Rapids to do anything this season are going to be put on him. Certainly amongst players um, from an attacking standpoint, I would say I would say Kevin Cabral has the highest expectations or the highest responsibility placed on his shoulder for anybody on the team with the exception of Diego Rubio. I think you could make an argument Andreas Maxu has a bigger role on the whole of the team. I think maybe with Jack Price being out— you could argue expectations or what's going to be needed from Connor Ronan playing in Price's role, filling those big shoes, those big, you know, Achilles tendon shoes, um, you know, are going to be significant as well. But, you know, I'm just the, the fact that he finally got a goal, the fact that it was a it, it was a goal that had meaning to it and everything. And the fact that he was able to score that. Hopefully that's a that's a monkey off his back. Hopefully that's, um, you know, a relief for him. Um, and maybe some of the other things that he did in that game as he continues to work his way up into fitness is going to prove that he's still he's a viable option and that he can progress from this. Hopefully this is the start of many good things from an attacking standpoint in ways, Mark, I would argue that the performance in this game for Cole Bassett was a step up, was an incremental improvement, possibly coming off of the confidence and the net positive gain from him scoring a goal and finally going from post Bassett to goal Bassett. His first goal in, well, he didn't score with Feyenoord, Mark. I know he scored in a cup game, I think, for Fortuna. And that would have obviously would have been all of his 2022 season. So you're talking about what? Just his second goal for club or country since the friendly at in Carson under, um, you know, uh, right before, right af- after the World Cup 
um, or no, this would have been 2021. Yeah, so this would have been the garbage friendly um, at the end of 2021. He scored two goals since then, one of which was like eight months ago for Fortuna in a nothing cup game that they ended up losing. And then last week against Minnesota as well. So hopefully Colbasic continues to build on this and improve now that he scored a goal. Hopefully Kevin Cabral can do that as well. And I think you could sense the relief in the statement from Robin Frazier when I asked him about this, Mark. So to quote Robin Frazier here, quote, I'm really happy for Kevin. We have a lot of attacking players. There's a lot of competition for positions. He has since about the third week of preseason picked up and is coming along. He's worked hard every day and patiently waited for his chance to get in and make a big difference for us. Big comment there, folks. He could have scored a second goal prior to that. It could have been two goals for him. It's really about his commitment and desire to get in front of goal, not just about the one he scored. He's in good spots. He's committing to getting there. Everything you see about his play is about that. I'm really happy for him. Hopefully, there's a better understanding and a better rapport with his teammates as well, Mark. And I'm here for I'm here for the Kevin Cabral redemption arc uh, as someone who was writing about how he was a bust with about 15 minutes to go in this game. I'll move on to bad things, Mark, to your point. You know, the, the Rapids out XG'd what I think it was 2-1 to one almost. Um, according to MLSsoccer.com, it was 2.2 for the Rapids and 1 for Austin. Uh, Mark, this is still a team, until proven otherwise, via long goals, long stretches of many, many goals for Bassett or on set pieces or for Cabral or for Darren Yappi. I will continue to harp on this is a team that attacking wise does not have a consistent, reliable finisher, not a consistent, reliable goal threat without Diego Rubio. And as long as that is the case, the team can continue to outwork and outperform and out XG opponents and still manage to lose games or have those performances not reflect in the results at that same level. Wins will turn into draws. Draws will turn into losses because they will have defensive breakdowns that will still lead to the other opponents getting high quality opportunities that they generally finish and the Rapids will continue to undo opposing defenses, get more numerous chances, potentially higher quality chances, you know, 0.95 XG in the case of Jonathan Lewis. And outside of Diego Rubio, they're not going to score those. And that's going to lead to this team being a a frustrating team to watch from a results standpoint. I still think Robin Frazier can put this team when they're unmanned, as we saw on Saturday, to create better chances, to outperform their opponents, to be successful against them. But fundamentally, it, it, this season and this team still is going to come down to what they can do in both boxes. And I th- I think we have a large of enough sample size that pending Max Shue, force multiplier, Alex Gershback getting fully integrated and on a good run of form and everything, or maybe the midfield figuring stuff out without price, this is still a team that will make a collection of small compounding errors on single plays, have lapses in focus and judgment, and ultimately that make it easy for opponents to get high quality chances that they will score and the Rapids will continue to create high quality opportunities and not be able to finish them. And as a result, they will have good performances, but disappointing or bittersweet results in that regard. And that is still a very serious concern I have about this team. Saturday's result does not change my stance at this point, Mark, that um, after Jack Price's injury and season ending surgery, I do not, I still do not have them 
being a playoff team. Um, th- so those are those are my thoughts, and I- I'm still wondering. I'm I'm disappointed, Mark, and I continue to think this is now just who this defense is. Stop looking back, folks, to what this defense, what Lal Subukar and William Yarbrough and Danny Wilson were in 2022. I think they're 2021. Excuse me. They're closer to what they were last year. They're closer to what they are right now than they were a year and a half ago. Um, Rabbi, your thoughts? Bad things. Bad thing wise, everything you said is true in terms of the inability to finish. Uh, everything you said is true uh, regarding the defense. The defense needs to be flawless in order to get W's, and right now they're not. This one was Andreas Maxu dropping the line on that first goal by Gallagher, uh, which was, um, you know, problematic. Although I, Matt, you said it was it was Maxu, and I'm not entirely sure. I thought originally it was. Um, I'll, I'll believe you, by the way. But I'm just hedging my bet by saying I thought that it was um, Danny Wilson. So, um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that I'm wrong. Uh, be, but but the last thing I'll say about this is it's a results oriented business. Uh, I sound like Alexi Lawless when I say that, and I hate sounding like Alexi Lawless. There's no there's no way around that. But um, at the end of the day, this is a team that is five games into the season and has just two points and sits in 14th place. There's um, we, we should have come out of Austin probably with a win by the way we played, and I don't know why we're not winning games, and I don't know why this feels like a persistent problem going back to last season where if you look, and we covered this repeatedly in Backpass, we've recovered, covered this repeatedly in holding the Highline um, podcast over the last couple of years, but uh, if you look at expected points, which is a statistical metric that you can find on American soccer analysis that takes the expected goals allowed, the expected goals scored, and, you know, charts them out. It comes up with a measure of the expected points. The Rapids have disappointed on that level last year. And I'm betting, I would bet my paycheck that they are still below their expected points for this year. Now, those numbers don't really mean anything until you've played at least 10 games because of sample size, but, like, the Rapids are underperforming what you would expect them to do based on how well they shoot, how well they produce goal opportunities, how well they defend goal opportunities, um, but they're not getting it done. And some of that is, like, led up to luck. Some of it's up to heart. Some of it's up to stupid mistakes. And so they need to do a little bit of all three of those things. Be a little bit luckier. Be a little bit better at finishing. Be a little bit more ruthless. Um, and just absolutely go into games, you know, being willing to gut it out for 90 minutes as opposed to sitting on their laurels for stretches or being tentative or being um, less aggressive. Um, big thing, Matt, for you. Well, uh, to, to your point, Rabbi, this is a thought that I've had that I've said to a bunch of different people but haven't actually said on the podcast, so now I'm going to say it. The hard work and the power of friendship is only going to get this team so far. <laughs> yes, but so, uh, yeah, so let's move on to big thing. Um, I've got two of them, Mark. Um, I actually sat in on, um, uh, you know, I was watching LAFC versus Dallas, and then there was a red card in that game, and I was like, all right, LAFC's probably got this. So I hopped on Twitter and saw that we are Austin, uh, we are Austin TV, we are Austin FC TV, I think. And so I DM'd the, I saw they had a, um, 
a Twitter space going. And so I DM them and I was like, Hey, if you want me to come on to talk about it from a rapids perspective and everything, I'm happy to do so. And so we ended up chatting and a bunch of people in the chat, a bunch of Austin FC sickos listeners were coming in thinking Austin was lucky to get a draw in this game that, you know, they were saying St. Stuver, this is a team that they were coming out of that game thinking the Rapids should have won it two one. And if the Rapids don't give up that goal, they probably win this game one nil and pip it at the end, just like they did in 2022 Barrios to Andre Shinyashiki. That game, that game had similar vibes to this past Saturday. So I, I think it's when the fan base of the other team who have as much as right as Rapids fans to be aggrieved and to be homers and everything are being like, yeah, we got outplayed and we were lucky to have a draw. I think that says something. And the second big thing I have, Mark, Jossie's artist has not gotten off to a good snort in Verde and Black. According to Fop Mob, um, his, uh, his rating uh, for Saturday was a 6.3. He played 85 minutes. He had uh, 14 passes. He only completed nine of them, so 14 touches, or maybe there were multiple touches in there as well. He had one shot. It was off the mark and everything. His hold-up play mark, which I was kind of paying attention to, given that's one thing that Maybe the Rapids were missing with Darren Yappi, as I wrote about on Burgundy Wave um, with my feature on Yappi a couple weeks ago. Now, the one thing that everybody harped on that's saying that there's a significant room and need for improvement is his hold of play. You know, Zardis was decent. He wasn't particularly great. He was kind of on an island for a number of different reasons. Um on Saturday, but he's not getting into good positions to get service. Austin's not doing a very good job of getting him the ball. The offense right now with Diego Fagundes, who was a sub in this game, was mostly get the ball to Driussi and then have Driussi either create something immediately for him or completely open up the game for somebody else. And he did that for Ethan Finley a few times. He did that for John Gallagher on the goal. He did not do that for... Jossie Zardes. So Zardes is holding the ball up okay. He's not doing anything with the service that he's getting. He's not doing anything particularly well to facilitate better or easier service to him to do something in the attack. And he's not creating opportunities for himself or particularly making it easier, taking a load off for the other attacking players as well. I've seen a lot of banter when people were talking, Mark, about Yappi being a lot of energy, but, um, you know, not actually finishing any of his opportunities, thinking that, you know, they really miss Jossie Zardes. I don't miss jo- I don't miss this version of Jossie Zardes. I don't miss the version of Zardes who laid an egg in Champions League when they uh, lost to Violetta with that crazy situation, Rabbi. And I definitely don't miss the probably cl- close to, if not a million dollars plus in guaranteed compensation that Austin is paying um, is paying Jossie Zardes. And I think if the Rapids weren't willing to give him any more than seven hundred and fifty k, it was the right decision to have him walk. Interesting. Interesting. Do you want me to respond to that or just Do you disagree? No, no, no. I I I I haven't done the math. I haven't you have done research, my brother, and therefore, you know, like this there's a there's a great meme going around about people who um are anti-vaxxers, which is, you know, the 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 whole thing where it says I've done my research and it's a photo of a young woman on the toilet thumbing through her phone, right? Like you've done the actual like CDC level serious math research into the vaccine, whereas I'm sitting here thumbing through the Illuminati trying to figure out why Giassi Zardes was a guy we should have we should have repurchased. So um, big thing for me, I guess, is just big mo, right? Like we've got the momentum going in the right way. If you um, went on Instagram and you saw Robin Frazier's post game talk, 
where he drops an f bomb that gets uh, edited out because um, he does it. He's the co- he's the coolest cat, man. He he talk he talks to the team in a way. He's very calm. He tells them how good they're doing, and then he just throws a swear word right in the middle with an f, and then you're you just keep going. He doesn't. He says the f when I say the f word, Matt. I say it with gusto and very like I I you know like everyone in the room knows it's coming, and then they're shocked when it happens, right? Because I raise my voice when I do it. And when uh, Robin Frazier throws out an F-bomb, he throws it out like he's ordering tacos at a restaurant. It just kind of slips out in a very calm way. Anyways, point being, Big Mo is going in the Rapids direction. Um, That's a good turn for them. I would expect that they will produce some good results in their next three matches, if not necessarily in the immediate next match. Before we get to the final topic of the night, Rabbi, previewing Saturday's home match against LAFC, tell our dear listeners about our Substack and how they can better support independent soccer journalism of the Colorado Rapids. Oh, Matt, you are the best. Citizen soccer journalism at its best. Folks, we are supported by you, our loyal listeners, to this year's podcast. We love doing this. We love following the Rapids, driving out to training, flying to road games, and interviewing players. We love spending our day off of our day jobs writing soccer articles, for Holy Law Highline Substack. But we also love to pay our rent and occasionally hoist the pint, like tonight, where I had an Irish ale from Great Lakes uh, Brewing, which is located, I think, in Cleveland, Ohio, mistake by the lake. Um, and provided by our listeners as a thank you for our efforts. So if you can, help us by subscribing to our Substack. You can become a paid supporter, subscriber, supporter, same word, aka a Highliner, by putting in just $5 a month or $42 a year. $42 a year is cheaper, and we like the money up front. But if you give us anything, we'll be happy. Continues. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year, a beer mug or stein, design pending, and some behind-the-paywall articles. You'll be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt, for the preview of... The upcoming opponent, Los Angeles Football Club. Listeners, this coming Saturday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, uh, ah! at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids will be taking on Los Angeles FC defending Supporter Shield and MLS Cup champions, um, CONCACAF Champions League possibly pending as well. This this match will be at 7.30. Uh, Mark, the Colorado Rapids still 14th in the Western Conference. Uh, they've got two points off of five games played, a record of zero wins, three losses, and two ties, and a goal difference of negative six. At DSG, at the Richard this season, they have a record of 0-1-1. LAFC uh, have 10 points off of five games played. They are ranked third in the Western Conference because St. Louis City is OP rare spawned and has sacrificed their soul to the Devils to get free attacking passes to open up and get really easy goals. Three wins, no losses, and one tie, and they have a goal difference of plus six. Should be pointed out, however, Mark, this is LAFC's second league away game of the season, and their previous one was just this past, um, was two weeks ago now during the international break where they got a nil-nil draw at Seattle Sounders, albeit with both teams a little bit 
Um, I'd say LAFC maybe a little bit more hampered because of international, uh, not international duty because of CCL that they had rather than what Seattle had to deal with. But in any case, Mark, um, if we're assuming that uh, Dennis Bowongo was able to make a 12-hour flight and everything and sit on the bench and then come on to score the winner against FC Dallas, I'm assuming not a whole lot of international absences for this coming Saturday against the Pids. So up front, Mark, I think they've got one of the best front three attacking lines in a 4-3-3. And MLS, the aforementioned Dennis Bonga, Carlos Vela, MLS MVP, and then uh, Poku on the right wing as well. Midfield has changed a little bit from what we've noticed in the past. Mark Elias Sanchez is in at the six. Kellen Acosta in that, you know, war daddy double pivot role that he's been in. Um, and then Tillman has joined um, the team as well. That's kind of the position that's up for the most grabs right now from a positional standpoint because you've also got Sim Fuentes who's in there as well. And then back line, it's been a little bit of a rotating case here, Mark. Uh, you've got Palencia and then um, the one of the best mustaches in MLS, if you ask me, in uh, Ryan Hollingshead at the right back position, and then it's uh, Diego Palacios at the left back position, and then center back. They do a bunch of different things, Mark, because it's uh, it's Murillo, it's uh, Aaron Long as well. Their big offseason acquisition, and then uh, of course they've got uh, Jao Chiellini, um, the Italian, who is part of their big acquisition, along with the retired Gareth Bale as well. And then it's John McCarthy in goal right now, as Maxine Crepeau uh, is still recovering from the broken leg whatever serious injury he had in stoppage time or in extra time of MLS Cup, it'll be John McCarthy who won that penalty shootout for LAFC in there. Mark, this is one of the best rosters in Major League Soccer. This is a team that is picking up right where they left off and everything. This is a team that will punish you if you make simple mistakes. They are very, very good. That being said, this is a team that has yet to win in Commerce City, Colorado, albeit uh-huh. Minnesota was in that same position as well. And Mark, this is usually a team. Hey, Rapids fans, Future Red here. Just wanted to let you know while I was editing this episode, I looked back at it and the Rapids have lost a home game to LAFC. They lost in 2018. Sorry we got that wrong. Where the Rapids have one bad thing that happened the week of or anything, and people like you or me or the Denver Post come out with our big headlines saying, oh, LAFC is going to storm in and absolutely destroy the Colorado yep. Rapids, and the Rapids do things like beat them 5-2 on decision day to win the Western Conference regular season title, or beat them 1-0 in a rain-delayed game, and Danny Wilson scores the goal, goes Scottish Salmon, and a certain tweet goes viral where we make a long-winded um, Bohemian Rhapsody joke. Rabbi, what do we think? Is there doom this coming Saturday? Um, I mean, you said it really well, which is like, I've already made a fool of myself in my history by stating uh, in the Denver Post, no less, that uh, LAFC was going to destroy the Colorado Rapids in a game at which ultimately the Rapids won. So what do I know? Um, The depth, I think, is a really great point. You did a really nice job of breaking down how talented this team are. You just kind of went around the back line and pointed out it was a rotating cast, but like I just wanted to run down that list. Eddie Segura, Aaron Long, Jesus Murillo, Giorgio Chiellini, Ryan Hollingshead, and Diego Palacios. That's six like definite starters for the Rapids, and you can only put four of them on the field at once. In some sort of dream universe, you could only you could put five of them on. But this is LAFC. They're not going to go five at the back, right? They want to come at you, um, and they want to hit you hard. Um, the midfield, you mentioned Tillman. They've also got Cifuentes, uh, Ilya Sanchez, and Kellen Acosta. Um, Acosta was listed, is currently listed as 
um, out uh, with a knock as of March 17th. Whether that um, is is something to watch, I don't know, but that's just um, what's been listed. Let me look that up, Rabbi. I'm not sure. Let me see if he, if he played uh, against Dallas. He probably did. I think he did, but he's he, that that injury is is listed for whatever it's it's worth. Um, I, I do think it's notable to say that Carlos Vela has fallen off over the last couple seasons. I haven't noticed him being as kind of like dominant over the last couple years uh, or the last year or so. Um, he had twelve goals and twelve assists in twenty twenty two, five and five in twenty twenty one. In 2020, it was um, uh, a lot, sh- a, a lot fewer than that. So um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstating. But I guess the year that we're comparing it all to, when you say 12 and 12 is a disappointing year, is of course that insane year he had when he first started in Major League Soccer in uh, 2019, in which he had 34 goals that year and 10 assists. Right. Um, that's like bonkers numbers, right? That's just insane. That's a goal a game in the regular season, which is... It was more than a goal a game. He had 33 games that season. I mean, like... Oh, my God. I know. Um, so when I say he's fallen off, I mean, he's become mortal, you know? He's become really, really good. The other thing that's interesting is, I guess, I don't think I really noticed this until now, but, like, you know, uh, going from 36 goals, 11 assists to 12 goals, 12 assists shows that he's become a distributor um, and a focal point for moving the rock around as opposed to being the main scorer for this team. So that, you know, that's actually almost even more dangerous. Yes. He's not scoring at the same clip that he used to, but he's um, able to be a guy that you have to key on to stop scoring, but he's going to slip the ball through and cause cause chaos. So um, anyways, this is a fun team to watch. Um, They're not as high octane and out of, uh, out of control, amazingly good as they were in 2019. Um, but they are still an excellent team, a lot of fun to watch. Um, and they're not afraid of anybody. I don't think, I think one of the interesting things about the way they play is, you know, uh, I would assume that the Rapids game plan around opponents a lot going into matches um, and think about how they want to play versus the lineups they're likely to see and the formations they're likely to see. I would be surprised if um, LAFC does that at all, I feel like under Steve Chirondolo and even before that under Bob Bradley, they just rolled in gangsta style and did nasty things to opponents and said, come at me, bro. Like, there's just no, you don't need to game. I, I'm, I'm not making light. I'm sure they work hard and game plan a little bit and talk about the opponent's tendencies and tell their team, where they want to run, what they want to focus on. But that being said, like, to be honest, LAFC can just come at me, bro, every week and play their high-octane best game, and opponents will have to respond. So LAFC is the team to beat. Um, I do think St. Louis is doing it with smoke and mirrors. I think in six weeks from now, LAFC and Seattle will be 1-2 or 2-1 at the top of the table. And St. Louis will be in a more natural position of sixth or eighth before they ultimately make it into being below the playoff line later in the season when they stop being gifted magical goals by terrible passes from the defense, which they've done three times in the last five games. And it's ridiculous. And I'm telling you, stop it, St. Louis. You're annoying me. 
Rabbi, I can't wait for us previewing <laughs> that game coming up on April 22nd where you and I are having to wear tinfoil hats and everything and talk about the continuation of this conspiracy. But no, a, a couple tactical points that I want to make on LAFC. First of all, there there's no obvious weakness here, I think, for you to attack no offensively or defensively. But to your point, Rabbi, normally we're used to Carlos Vela playing on the right in a front three, but mostly he's been up the middle as well. And that's because, you know, Apoku and Bawanga have been the ones getting in behind, finding space and everything. So I'm really curious to see to the point where the Rapids on the whole of the game last Saturday were the better team out wide. I thought Sam Nicholson, other than um, his play on the goal, I thought he was excellent. I thought Keegan Rosenberry, obviously fantastic performance. Uh, Robin Frazier said that it was one of Keegan's best games in a while, even going back to last year. I think that's saying something by the standards and the expectations we have of the our Iron Man right back as well. And so I think it could come down to a wide play standpoint because I think you could see the Rapids from a numbers standpoint trying to gum it up in the midfield. Maybe Ryan Acosta gets some minutes. I think this might actually be a good game for Ralph Prizo to start potentially, Mark, because, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to bulldog it against Ilya Sanchez and Kellen Acosta, and he's going to get stuck in. And that's one of those things where he's kind of a chaos yoked chicken with his head cut off, and he's just kind of running and being energetic and being a bulldozer and everything. I, that was a sentence to, that, that, <laughs> that was a, that, that, that was a voice clip and everything out of context to be hilarious at. Nice, But, you know, I, I think that could be a fitting one for him. Obviously, one where I think Cole would be able to get on the ball, find half spaces and play out to really help the team. And I think an interesting challenge for us to, again, further evaluate, can Connor Ronan be... Get, can Connor Ronan raise his game up to be a Jack Price equivalent to the point where wow. we miss him less potentially because he's able to elevate his game and continue to grow within the team? I think LAFC's midfield provides a very good, very balanced, and very diverse skill set to challenge the Rapids and for us to measure what the Rapids can be and what Robin Frazier can do from a personnel or a tactics or a positional standpoint to try and counteract that. My biggest concerns still are what are Apoku doing and what are Dennis Bowanga doing, given what I think the Rapids are going to have to commit in the midfield to try and gum things up, and then what's that going to do from a wide standpoint? The Rapids were the far better team out wide against Austin. Um, I thought they were really good against Sporting Kansas City. I don't think they were good enough for long stretches against Minnesota. That is going to be a task to deal with as well that I'm kind of concerned about. And what LAFC is doing defensively on on set pieces for me Mark I think is going to come down to the center back personnel decisions I could see this being a game where you just where Chiellini starts is a planned 60 minute sub playing at altitude and everything and he's just in there to just be a chaos merchant and everything and just absolutely infuriate the Rapids get in Diego Rubio's head potentially make Darren Yappi's life just a physical mess whatsoever randomly get a yellow card for batting a ball down you know to prevent a counterattack or anything he's going to be He's going to be conca Caffey to a level, and Aaron Long is still, for me, one of the best center backs in MLS, and trying to break things down and do things well against him in the air from the run of play um, when, the Rapids are, uh, when the Rapids are trying to play in transition is going to be really, really difficult. I'm, I'm not sure... It, you know, I, I know we still have, you know, two games for two of the important attacking players that could start in this game to come. And, you know, Diego Rubio could score a hat trick, and Darren Yapi could score a winner against uh, Serbia 
you know, by the time you're listening to this podcast, listeners, but I, I have concerns about how the Rapids are going to be able to sustain controlling the game, Rabbi, let alone creating high-quality chances against this LAFC team. That being said, I feel like I say this every single time we preview this fixture and the Rapids find a way to rise to the occasion, elevate their game and everything. LAFC comes in. Bella wasn't great the last two times that he's played in Commerce City, Mark. I should say Kellen Acosta has yet to have a really bossy game on the road against the Rapids. I thought Acosta was fantastic in the MLS season opener last year. I think he drew that penalty that opened up the 3-0 with the Vela hat trick and everything. So, um, you know, we'll see. Is 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 Kellen Acosta winning a Supporters' Shield, winning an MLS Cup, going and playing at a World Cup? Is he far enough removed in terms of significant career events, Mark, to where he no longer looks at this as a fixture to think about, I've got something to prove because Porrick Smith traded me instead of re-upping me or letting me to go to Europe or anything. Like, I've had this game you know, scheduled on, circled on my calendar and I'm going to focus on it, and I'm going to prove them wrong. In the same way that he probably still does to an extent with FC Dallas, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure if he's coming in with that same, you know, salty, grumpy, war daddy energy that he certainly had against Dallas. Um, but, you know, those are things that I'm looking at that I think will be early tells for me, Mark, whether or not this game is going to be successful. What's LAFC doing at center back? Is that immediately making the Rapids' life significantly more difficult? Can the Rapids have periods where they win and wrangle control, grab the bull by the horns in the midfield as well? And are the Rapids just going to get cooked out wide? I think if that happens, I think the Rapids lose. Um, I'm going to, I'm doing this purely Mark because I've done it every single time in the Rapids. I'm doing this to jinx myself, make myself look bad to ultimately then help the Rapids get a result. I think it will be an LAFC one nil victory. I think it will be an, it'll be a a roughed up game in midfield. Not a whole lot of chances. And Vela is going to set up Bowanga for the winner. One nil LAFC gets their first ever win in Commerce City. What say you Mark? Uh, I am going to continue to base all of my um, predictions about LAFC on the traumatic experience of making my worst prediction ever in the largest outlet that I've ever write written for, which is to say I will never vote, I will never pick LAFC over the Rapids again, um, no matter how illogical that is. Here I go, I think the Rapids get their first win of the year against LAFC, I think it's probably going to be a high-octane slugfest for whatever craziness that sounds like. So I'll go with, like, 3-2 in Commerce City to thrill all the fans. Matt, do you know what the weather's going to be like? Are a lot of people going to turn out for this game? Is this is this looking good this Saturday? Uh, last I checked, Rabbi, because we did get snow the other day. Right now, um, we've got a high of 63 and a low of 30. So Ooh. I'm going to say... And sunny during the day, I'm going to say there's a possibility we're still in the 40s when we kick off at 7.30. But, yeah... That's the bummer, is it? The, the, the move in in the Apple deal to you're playing all your games as night games is, is gonna make is gonna make those nice warm daytime March games that could have been fun uh, less fun because it's not that warm. Yeah, the, the only benefit I think you have with that, Mark, is potentially if you think about getting to the tailgate at the same time, you've got 30 more minutes of tailgate and mini donuts to now enjoy during those 30 minutes as well. And the only other like in-stadium benefit I can really think of is the north, the people in like that northeast corner that are just constantly getting cooked in the sun in the middle of the summer when it's like 80 potentially at kickoff and everything that's not happening anymore you've got proper you have proper shade and not like the um 
you know, the, the contours and the gradient of the sunset throughout the first half during those summer days as well. But yeah, to your point, Mark, I think we're looking at, I'm probably going to be wearing long sleeves potentially through to the end of April in, um, up in the press box as well. So we're, we're going to have to wait for one layer and, and the short sleeve last word on soccer polo or the, or my lucky, um, UFO polo, Mark, that's probably not going to make an appearance until May, maybe even into June, unfortunately. Soon. Rabbi, you so you had three two. Who are the goal scorers for the Rapids? You always ask that, and I always think like this is the craziest question ever because um, for the Rapids, all right, let's let's just let's just be desperate and say what I don't think will happen, but I want to happen, which is Darren Yappi finally uh, gets on the off the Schneid and gets his first goal. Um, let's say that the. Colorado Rapids finally get a goal from Sam Nicholson. Um, and let's go Scottish Salmon. Let's go Danny Wilson on a on a Loki's toboggan or a broken um, set piece, you know, banging in a goal. So um, those are those are, by the way, because, you know, because I think it's almost a little bit unlikely for the Rapids to win this game. I went with three unlikely scorers as the three goal scorers in this match. But, you know, wishful thinking is always fun. Oh, mamma mia, mamma mia, Danny Wilson scores a goal. Listeners, you can follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard and for the podcast at Rapids 96 podcast. You can check out all of our work, Rapids related or otherwise at Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Last word on sports.com backslash soccer, burgundywave.com, and the Holding the Highline substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. Head on over there if you want to uh, subscribe via email, if you want to become a paid supporter. That is the best way to support our work, to support the podcast. Rabbi, I will have an update later this week on what's happening with Burgundy Wave, and there's going to be a big launch next week, and we'll talk about it on the pod. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. That's great. Um, And then uh, you can also get at us in long form. If you want to ask us a question and want us to talk about it on the podcast, you can tweet at us and then also use the hashtag AskHTHL. Or in long form, you can email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much, listeners. We will see you next week. Peace. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit